Welcome to Food Psych, a podcast about intuitive eating, body positivity, and health at every size. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in weight-inclusive wellness. Join me as I talk with interesting people from all walks of life about their relationships with food. Hello and welcome to episode 85 and happy new year. This is the first episode of 2017 so I hope your year is off to a good start but I know that this is a pretty difficult time of year for anyone who's struggling in your relationship with food and who is trying to avoid getting back on the diet roller coaster because there's so much temptation around you, right, at all times right now. And temptation in terms of try this, this is the diet that's gonna work, or this isn't a diet, it's a lifestyle change, or this is a healthy, wholesome, plant-based plan that has nothing to do with dieting, but P.S., you might lose weight, right? There's all these insidious messages now about different things that are gonna change your life and make you healthy, quote unquote, and they sell themselves as not being a diet. Like that's really the culture we live in right now is that diets don't want to be marketed as diets. And so they're gonna say all kinds of great marketing gimmicks to get you to think they're not a diet, but they're actually a diet. Anything, like my guest Rachel Cole said a few weeks ago, anything that tells you what to eat, when to eat, or how much to eat is a diet, right? So. Just keep that in mind whenever you see things about new eating plans or ways of eating. I think that's a good guide to keep with you in this new year. And I wanted to bring you today's episode because I think it's got some great information about staying strong in the anti-diet movement. My guest is Anne-Sophie Reinhardt, who is an anti-diet coach, and she has her own journey with body image and a disordered relationship with food that she's going to share with you all in just a moment. And it's a really great powerful story. So I can't wait for you to hear it. Before we get into that, we are sponsored today by my intuitive eating online course, which you can find at christyharrison.com slash course. And now is a really good time to join the course because right now you're really inundated with pro diet messages, right? And it can be difficult to hold on to your resolve to not diet and to not get sucked back into disordered eating practices. So the intuitive eating online course is a great way to join a community of people who are on the same journey with you and to get lots of great tools and resources to help you with that journey so you can finally make peace with food in 2017. So my goal is to, you know, throw out the usual New Year's resolutions, right, that people make about wanting to lose weight or quote unquote get healthy, which oftentimes covers for wanting to lose weight, right, or wanting to change your body. So none of that, right, but make 2017 the year of the anti-diet, the year when you finally embrace an anti-diet philosophy and learn how to treat yourself well and with kindness, right, and practice self-care through food and nourishment and nurturing through food and physical activity rather than punishing yourself with those things. Because who wants that, right? It's no fun. So if you want to join the course and join a really cool community of people who are doing this and who are there to support you in this anti-diet practice, plus tons of guidance from me as well throughout the course, you can go to christyharrison.com course to learn more and sign up today. 
Another cool resource I want to share is my quiz to assess your relationship with food. So if you've wondered if your relationship with food is healthy or what might be the areas you need to work on, you can take this quiz to get your results delivered instantly via email. And it also includes lots of individualized tips to help you make peace with food wherever you are. So whatever you say in the quiz, there's some tips that come back to you for addressing those particular areas that you need to work on. So you can find the quiz and take it and learn more about your relationship with food at christyharrison.com slash quiz. That's christyharrison.com slash quiz. And then finally, if you like the podcast and if it's brought you value and helped you in your relationship with food, then please leave a positive rating and review on iTunes. That really helps us out. It helps helps the podcast climb in the ratings, but it also helps other people get these body positive messages they need to hear because the more visible we are and the more we come up in search results in iTunes, the more other people can find these body positive messages when they need them. So if they're searching for things like anti-diet or intuitive eating or health at every size or body positivity or even, you know, something random like elimination diets, right? If they're considering going on some sort of crazy cleanse, my podcast actually comes up in search results for those things because we've addressed those topics now in, you know, 80 some odd episodes in the past. And whenever we get more positive ratings, it just brings us up higher in those search results so that people can find us when they need us most. So if you want to leave a rating and review, go to iTunes either on your computer or the podcast app on your phone. It's that little purple app and search for Food Psych in the search bar. So you can't for some reason, you can't leave a review just from where you're subscribed to the podcast. Like you have to search for it in the search bar and then click on the result that comes up under podcasts and then click on the tab that says ratings and reviews. And that's where you can leave your nice rating and review, a little five-star rating if you like, and tell us what you like about the podcast. So that really helps other people find the body positive message and kind of pays it forward if you've gotten something out of the podcast. So now without any further ado, let's go talk to Anne-Sophie Reinhardt. I spoke with her via Skype from her home in Germany. So tell me about your relationship with food growing up. So the first memory I have when it comes to me and food is we were, we always went on vacation in the south of France. And so we were camping, we had these little trailers, and we would spend our days at the beach, like three minutes from our trailers, right? And every, like my family would have a big breakfast and then we would just go to the beach and be there for hours and hours. And I was the only one who at lunchtime would cry and scream. And I was like, I'm starving, I'm starving, which I couldn't have been. I couldn't have been starving, obviously. And we had had a big breakfast, but there was something in me that I needed to eat at lunchtime, right? There was like some kind of rule. And I was maybe five, six years old. So this is a memory I have. I wasn't hungry, but I knew I needed to eat because it was lunchtime. And I, you know, so I had, I don't know why I remember this, but it's been, it's just been in my brain for so many years because it just marks, like it's a milestone for me knowing that food was not, even when I was growing up, something that was easy. It was not something that I just did. It was always, there were always rules and some kind of, you know, I needed to have lunch. I needed to have breakfast. I needed to have dinner. Like I needed to have these things. I couldn't skip them. Otherwise something bad was going to happen or 
you know, I would maybe be hungrier before dinner when everyone else was not hungry yet or some of these things. But I, there was always an aspect of unease when it comes to my relationship with food. And so that's kind of the beginning. Mm. Where do you think that came from? What sort of prompted you to relate to food in that way? I don't know why food, <laughs> obviously, but, you know, I was always a very anxious child. Like I had, I was very clingy to my mom. I was scared of everything and everyone. I was, I had a very abusive brother, like mentally abusive, physically abusive. And I think that my way of dealing with all of that was structure, rules, and, and the focus on, you know, what I could control, which was food. And I didn't, you know, back at that time, it wasn't a conscious thought that happened later. But I, I, you know, going back and just analyzing it, I think that's what I did. And that is why food was so important to me, because it was, it was external. It was something that I was more, my, my brother was older. So, you know, I was more powerful than food or, you know, I was like, I am able to control that. And it's not something that I have to endure. It's not something that I have to be silent about, I can control when I eat, how much I eat. So I think that was one of the biggest reasons why food was so important and why there was just never this, you know, when you're a kid, you're supposed to just eat, right? And be like, okay, I'll just, you know, listen to my body and, and, and do what my body says. But for me, it really was never like that or not as long as I can remember. Yeah. And it sounds like trauma really took that away from you. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it's, you know, I'm over at like over it as much as you can be over it. So there's no sadness anymore, no anger when I think back to that time. But sometimes, you know, I sit back and I'm like, yeah, I never had that as a child, right? I never had that freedom that you're supposed to have as a child in all areas of life. Yeah, but that's how I coped. And that's how I was able to survive, I think, and, and thrive in many areas was to just have that one focus that I was able to kind of guide my fears and my anxieties into and, and, and channel them in some kind of way. It makes so much sense. And that is such a common story, I think, for people who stumble into eating disorders young. Yeah, there's always some kind of trauma or some kind of abuse in, in whatever shape or form there is. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of looking to something to cope with it because at that age, you don't really know how to distinguish coping mechanisms, you know, what's a healthy coping mechanism, what's not. And also the healthy coping mechanisms may not even be available to you. So like food is sort of an easy yeah. and readily available way to control it actually. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, it was also like, my environment was not reacting to it's like and i'm sorry i have to be current about this but you know in the u.s you have the you have trump right now right you have mm, the president yeah race. of and it's course like, i've been so triggered with this with his behavior when it comes to women right and how he how he views women and how people around him apologize for him right and just are like all right yeah it's just talk 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 so that's kind of what it was for me growing up it was not sexual. There was no sexual abuse in that way, but it was, you know, very strongly physical and mental. And it was always, there was always an aspect of, well, he's just playing, right? Or it's, it, he doesn't really mean it, or it's not that, it's not that bad. And so, you know, all these things. And that for me was like, you know, I couldn't even, I couldn't even get the help I needed at the time from the adults around me. And really, it sounds for me when I, when I think back, it's really weird, but food gave me that, right? It gave me that peace. It, it gave me that 
control, but it also gave me that that thing I was able to obsess about in order to not have to think about how lonely I felt and how scared I was and how how I felt abandoned by everyone, right? Because I was just like, it was me against everyone. So that really was how I dealt with life at that point. Yeah, it makes so much sense. It, food can play so many of those different functions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, how did that evolve over time as you grew up? So I was, you know, I grew into a little bit of a chubby child, which I was always told. <laughs> and then um, around nine or 10, when I was nine or 10 years old, I had a, my best friend's mom told me that, you know, we had to go, actually, we had to weigh ourselves in school. I don't know if they were still doing that, but in front of the entire class. And so I remember my weight back then and I told it to my, you know, my, my best friend's mom. And she was like, oh my God, that's like only such and such, such pounds less than I weigh. And I'm like, you know, 25 years older or whatever. And that was so deeply shaming to me that I was not in categories. It would be obese or anything like that. I was not like any of that at all. I was a normal child. When I look back now, I had a normal body, right? I was a normal, healthy, young girl. Right. Like BMI wise, you are not outside the normal category with all the flaws that BMI has. But yeah, (laughs) I know. And that's such an interesting thing about childhood chubbiness that I hear so many people say that they were labeled as chubby or fat and they were told to lose weight or they thought they needed to lose weight. And then looking back, they weren't actually even in the category that would be labeled as fat. You know, it's like they weren't even close to being what they perceived. And it sounds like that's your experience for sure or what other people perceived of you too. Yeah, and it was just so grotesque. And so, you know, why would she compare herself to me? And, you know, she's a very thin woman and still to this day. So for someone who had always had that issue with food in some way, it was just like, yeah, that that was what I needed to start a diet, like a real diet. And, and that's what I did pretty much right away. And then, you know, I stopped eating at certain times and I stopped eating certain things and I started to exercise a lot and um, lost weight pretty quickly because I was a very, like when I wanted something, I got it. Like that's it. I just did it. And then I got all these compliments right from everyone. Oh my God, you look great. And I was 10 years old. So it was not like I was, I was 10 years old. But everyone complimented me and everyone was always, and I hear this to this day, you know, so smitten with my willpower. It was all, you know, you're, you have so much willpower. And how can you sit here at this table and not eat while everyone else is eating? So, well, you know, it was always about this willpower, which obviously I was miserable inside. It was nothing, had nothing to do with willpower. So that's, you know, that's how it started. And then after three or four years of this dieting, I just slipped into anorexia. And I had a, was not diagnosed at this point, but many years later, I was diagnosed with anorexia. And I just ate very, very little. I exercised a lot. I lost my friends. I lost my social life. I lost, I was a child who was always creative and adventurous and you know was doing things and I danced and I played the guitar and the piano and I had all these things and I, I stopped doing everything and the only thing I did was school not eat and work out so that was like my youth right my, my childhood and then my, my teenage years and and then it just went up and down I had like I went the opposite for a while 
and and just couldn't stop eating like you know binged all day every day for months and gained a lot of weight in a very short amount of time and then it went back to me not eating so you know this struggle lasted for about 14 years yeah so it was like my entire youth right my entire those years when you're supposed to not to have fun right and not worry about anything that was my my food struggle yeah and it was again I I say that and I'm not sad that I had it anymore it's not like you know I would obviously how can you regret that it just happened but I'm deeply grateful that I that I was able to make it through those years with with what I have with the skills that I had to pick up somehow along the way and that I was able to make it out of this situation with my brother somehow with everything intact but it was certainly eating disorders they grab you right and they have you and you it's so hard to get out once you're in there and so it just I wanted out and I tried many times I tried therapies and I tried clinics and and I wasn't ready I just was not ready and so I, I had to be at a specific point at a specific time right to just say okay enough is enough I want I want to heal yeah. Did someone send you to those clinics and, and therapies or did you check yourself in because you knew you needed help? So I, will, I, I remember I was an exchange student in the U.S. And when I was there, I was there only for six months. But I remember that at that point, I, for the first time, I re- really saw how messed up my relationship with food was, like and how everyone else, like all the quote unquote normal teenagers ate and and that's when I said, when I called my mom and I was like, when I come back home to Germany, I want, I want to have therapy because something's not right and I'm not happy. But my therapist, after like three sessions, sent me then to a clinic. And that was just like, not the right thing for me at this time. I, therapy, I'm, I'm convinced would have been the right thing for me to just stay in therapy, be at home and, and still somehow in my environment and, you know, not be sent off again after being gone for like for six months, which, and then, you know, I escaped like after three days, I was like, no, this is not how we <laughs> So you are not ready for that kind of intensive treatment? Absolutely not. No, I still asked all the time. I asked about, can I, can I go outside and walk? Can I, you know, can I exercise? Can I, I tried to, to not eat, to skip meals. I was not ready. I was so scared of, of gaining weight mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. When did it become about the weight and sort of the body image stuff start to be a real piece of it? Was that around when your friend's mom said that to you? Yeah, I think that's like, but it's so difficult to say because, you know, I have all these memories thinking back about body checking and like age seven, eight, especially after dinner. Like we, we had my, my parents had a lot of friends over at the time all the time. They cooked and, you know, lots of food all the time. And it was a fun time for me and for, for, for my sister and everyone and other children. But for me, it was also always about this or, you know, just checking, like, what does my body look like now that I've eaten or that everyone else has eaten? And there was always diet talk, like in our family and, and those, you know, circle of friends, people talked about dieting and they were on diets and it was about gaining weight. And, and so it, there was always this kind of an aspect there. My brother struggled with his weight. so I had him being a role model or something he was counting calories my little sister was put on diets so it was a big thing in our family so it was just always present it was always there but I think it really it became about the weight when I when my best friend's mom just said oh my god 
you weigh so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like you're bad and wrong for weighing exactly. this. That was the message. Yeah, exactly. How how could you? Oh. So yeah, of course, when anyone challenges that and says you have to gain weight and in certain treatment settings, it's also like you have to do it now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like that's, I'm sure, provoked a huge resistance and backlash. Absolutely. And for me back at that time, I realized I had a problem, but I still didn't want to have the problem. Like I still was like, okay, yes, I might have a problem, but it's not actually that bad, right? It's not, I don't have as big of a problem as everyone around me like the other children like or the other teenagers who were at the clinic their problems are so much worse and so there was still this yeah something's wrong with me but it's not or something's wrong with my behaviors it's not me it's my behaviors but it's not that bad right it's not i can live with it and it's being thin or or having control over my body is more important still and it's, it's just not as as bad as being depressed or borderline or any of these things right so I always saw still saw myself as somehow not that bad Mm. not that sick right isn't it insidious how we can sort of convince ourselves and the sort of perspective kind of toggles back and forth between I really need help I feel awful and like oh it's not that bad I'm not that sick I totally went through that too with my own relationship with food because there are several times when I tried to ask therapists for help I tried to open the door and talk about my relationship with food and I got met with like nope you're not thin enough or that doesn't sound so bad or whatever and it just really like shut the door and then it also became part of my inner monologue when I started trying to challenge those behaviors and beliefs it was like well this person said I wasn't that bad or this person said I wasn't too thin so I guess it must be fine I guess I'm actually okay Exactly. And that's where there needs to be so much more education and awareness. But my dad's a doctor and I lived in his home, obviously. He was around me all the time. And it was still, I was never, I was never sick enough. We talk about this now that I'm healthy and everything's fine. And he says, you know, first of all, I'm his daughter, right? You don't want it. You don't want to see it. But also he he was not as aware of it, right? We're, We're good with hiding and even if we go and, and I saw it help, like, you know, I was sobbing at times. I was just like, it's not, something's not, I can't, you know, I can't get out of this. I, I just can't. And there were times when I was very thin, yes, but there were also times when I was just quote unquote normal, right? And then I had, like, I was quote unquote overweight. And so, you know, I was always like going back and forth. So it was just not severe enough. And back at that time, and I, you know, it's been like 10 years which shouldn't be a long time, but it is in this, you know, in this field. And I think there's more awareness now than there was back then. I don't think that doctors were just like thinking it was really that big of a problem, right? You're like, yeah, why don't you just eat? And so it's tricky. Our minds are tricky and and doctors then not taking or therapists or whatever. And just your family not taking you seriously is horrendous, I think. I know, I know. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and seen as patients who, you know, had an eating disorder starting very young and the family just didn't want to see it, even if it did fit the picture, you know, even if it was the sort of stereotypical emaciation and especially if it wasn't, but, you know, even if it was, like, I think it's really hard to break through that denial sometimes, you know, sometimes the family just wants to 
be okay and pretend everything's okay. And I empathize with that, of course. I want everything to be okay too. But I think it's just important to sort of reality check yourself sometimes and, and think if something is going on that you're missing with your child, you gotta gotta own up to that. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you kind of make the decision or make the transition then to getting help on your own terms? Did you go back and forth for a while of thinking you weren't really sick enough or how did that play out? I did. And, you know, again, there were times when I was sicker and times when I was more okay. And then I got married oh. <laughs> really, really, really suddenly Wow! And after very short engagement time. And I thought I was very young. I was 22, I think. And I thought, you know, now that I've met my husband and I know now that I'm married and all of that I'm in love you know he loves me I love him I'm gonna be fine right I'm gonna be okay and this is gonna heal and I don't have the pressure of having to find a boyfriend or having to look good for others you know I was just like good now I can can be free and the opposite happened I got sicker and sicker and my behaviors got more obsessive and I was working out more and more and eating less and it just very quickly I've realized that okay this is not working he's not saving me and I need to I need to because I was really at that time things were evolving so quickly and I was just was working out so much for me at best at this time it was really about the working out and exercising all the time that I was just weak and I had this moment one night coming back home from the gym where I was so weak, like physically so exhausted that I just didn't want to do it anymore. I did not, I was not able to go back to the gym for another session and for, for another thing. And so I, that was like the, the moment I realized that I want help. Like I do not want to do this anymore to continue to, fall apart and to to hurt myself so much and so that was like four or five months before I then checked myself into treatment and it took a while to, for me to find a place and during those months you know I got worse again it was it's so interesting how I even made that decision to to change but then I got I, I still couldn't stop and then I, I you know went into treatment and I was in treatment for three months I didn't gain any weight, like it didn't really help on the behavioral aspect or level, but... Was it an inpatient program or a... Yes. a yeah. Inpatient, exactly. So you, you were sort of able to like sneak around and do what you were going to do anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why, you know, certain inpatient and residential programs seem so strict sometimes you know and they're watching you like a hawk every move but i think that's that's the reason you know is because when people are sick enough i mean not sick enough quote unquote but like when they're in that state when they're sick enough to think this way they will stop at nothing to continue engaging those behaviors oh yeah we do mm -hmm. and even though we really really you know we always say yes we want this no i still worked out and i still didn't eat and i you know but what helped me was we had a really intense therapy program and, you know, we had group therapy. We had, we worked a lot with our body image and awareness. We, we were cooking together. And, you know, for me, that was, that was really healing 
like even though I was still scared of the food, I was still scared of gaining weight, but going into therapy and really getting to the roots of this, of, of my struggle and just having, having the support around me and also being taken seriously. Like, even though I was, I was still lying, like I was still lying or my eating disorder was still lying, but they took me seriously. Like they took my struggle seriously and they saw that I was very sick, which at that point I was very, very sick. And I was sick before, right? But at this point, you saw it in my body that I was very sick. And so that was good for me too, to just know. And also to, I think there was this aspect of now my family knows that I am sick. Like mm. I always thought that nobody took me seriously. Like I think that was one of the biggest things. Like it was more than, it was not me struggling with an eating disorder it was just me being very like having that willpower right being very strong-minded and so that's what my family always thought of, of what I was doing and why I was doing it and when I was at the clinic and it was just really seriously for me it just felt like yes now they know that I've not been lying for all of these years I've not been making this stuff up I've not been pretending wanting to be sick or wanting to be weak or wanting to be the one child that that's just always, always has something, but that this was actually something that had taken over my life and that I could not just stop doing, right? I couldn't just eat the cake, like all these comments you get, you know, just eat. Oh my God. I would, I, my, my grandma always told me that, you know, I wish I was you. I could eat, I would eat anything. And I wish I could eat this cake. And I wish I could eat that. And I would just eat all day long. I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, you don't get it. And <laughs> totally doesn't get it. meant well, but it was, mm-hmm. there's no understanding of it. And so I didn't, again, I didn't gain weight. There was no changing of my behaviors in the, the here and now. But those three months definitely brought me a lot of peace. And also then, you know, just where kind of the beginning of me going out and really taking therapy seriously and then I had a coach and that was the beginning of me learning how to to take care of myself and work with my body like see my body as something more than just you know something that weighs (laughs) something that you know can weigh little or a lot and and just having all these awareness exercises that we did and having those tools that was the beginning of, of my healing. And that was about five and a half years ago now. And even though I, you know, I have mixed feelings about, about inpatient treatment and about the methods that they've used, I, I still think that it was a, I needed that time and it was very beneficial for me. Yeah, it sounds like it set the foundation and set the stage. Exactly. And then what did you do in, in therapy and sort of in your life at home? to support that and to keep moving forward with your recovery? So I found, I was lucky in that I found a great, a great therapist who supported me in the transition because it's really easy to come home and then go back right to what you've been doing before. And again, I was doing that on the behavioral level, but she really just helped me to, I mean, I I knew why at this point, I knew why I was doing what I was doing. I knew, you know, it came from, from my relationship with my brother. That's how it began. But we didn't just work on the core of it and, you know, but we actually, we also started to work on what can I do now, right? Therapy for me oftentimes is just, you know, you go back into the past and you talk about that. But she really also took me into the present and and helped me to use what what I knew about myself and about my relationship with my brother to start to 
see my worthiness as a person because up to this point, I was not a worthy person. I was what my brother had told me I was, and I was a bad, bad girl. I was not, not anything. And I was, you know, all these things he used to tell me. And so we started to basically build my self-worth, right, for the very first time. And she was not focused on the food aspect. I mean, she was specializing in it. So it was like she was an eating disorder therapist. And she talked to me about that a little bit, but she didn't give me meal plans or anything like that. It was she really focused on me, on, on, on my emotional well-being, while obviously looking after me and, and looking that, you know, I don't completely fall apart on the, on the food aspect, on the eating aspect. A behavioral aspect but it was just also we we talked a lot and we worked a lot on on that self-worth which I didn't I had zero self-worth at that point and then you know when you build your self-worth your body becomes less and less and less your, your exact weight becomes less important over time and so that was what we worked on mostly and at home you know with my husband I still had that he cut out specific food groups and so I, that was very challenging for me at that point. I still went to the gym or I started going to the gym at, at a certain point again. But by going through therapy and taking that seriously and then also reading, I read a lot of books, which at that point started to come out and being published and just learning a lot about this. And also building a life that was more than just me and food <laughs> because that's what it had always been it was just me and, and my workouts and food I began to journal again I began to to blog I began to do a podcast at that point I, I had friends for the first time in, in a decade and I've had you know meaningful conversations and I began to really live again while I was doing the therapy and everything and that you know all of these things together help to just with tiny baby steps like every single day like a decision today I'm not going to skip breakfast today I'm not going to go on a juice fast today I'm not you know because all of these crazy ideas I had them and just like I, I was being triggered every day but it was a decision and then there were good days and bad days as you probably know it's one step in front of the other and that's how I very slowly recovered mm, I like that that metaphor a lot because it really is just such a step-by-step -step slow journey that you can't just do overnight. And I think sometimes when I'm speaking on this podcast, you know, with so many years of recovery behind me and talking to people who have years of recovery behind them, the people who hear it might be like, oh, I should just do that, you know? And it's like, mm -hmm. that's that. it's great to have that inspiration, but I also think people need to know that it is such a slow journey and you have to kind of just keep putting one foot in front of the other and doing little decisions because that's where the that's like where the rubber meets the road you know with recovery it's like you can sort of think in grand terms about how you want your life to be and these sort of ideas about giving up the eating disorder and being happy and I think that's great for like a guiding light and an inspiration to keep moving towards but if you don't keep also doing those daily practices you're not going to get there so it's kind of both Absolutely, absolutely. And it's when you're in this in this journey, when you're right in the grind of it, it, it sucks mm -hmm. at times. Like, you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it again. You don't, you know, want to face the struggle again. It is a struggle at first. It is, right? It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy decision. It's not, the steps are not easy. They don't feel intuitive. It's not intuitive to gain weight. 
Like even if you know you need to, even if you know you feel better, even if you know all of these things, it's still we're being told to always lose weight, right? It's not intuitive. And you have to gain weight. It sucks. But over time, it gets easier. It gets less scary. It gets, you know, then over time, it gets less important, right? And it's just like you begin to, it begins to change. Your brain begins to change. And, and your, what you focus on begins to change. And, but it takes time. It does not happen in a month. It doesn't. As great as it would be. But it, it just takes much, much longer than that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, your experience of like going to this treatment program for three months, it did give you a really great base, but it also didn't fix everything in the three month period by any means, you know, like you had much more to your journey ahead of you. So I think that's another important thing too, if like anyone's considering treatment to know that treatment is huge and it can certainly boost your recovery and give you a great jumping off point, but also like you got to keep doing it. <laughs> you know, you got to exactly. continue down the road for a long time. Absolutely. And it's, you won't get out and your life will be, will be amazing and everything will be, will be <laughs> fine and great. And as, as great as that would be, it's just not, that's not how it works. No, I know. Unfortunately, it's not how yeah. really anything works in life, actually. No, it's but, true. <laughs> yeah. So how do you think you started accepting your body? Like what were some of the moments or the ideas or tips or something that really registered? So I think I ha did not have my period for, for years and years and years. So the first time I had my period again, that was a moment of, of respect, like this is working again, even though after everything that I've done to my body and after all of these years of abuse, it's still working, right? And it's still, I'm, it's still functioning. And, and so the internal work for me was, was huge. But also then I began to, as I began to have more energy because I was eating more and I was not so severely underweight, I, I just felt so grateful. <laughs> I just felt so grateful that I was able to move throughout my day without feeling dizzy all the time, without you know, shaking and all of these things that are symptoms that I have. But also, I, you know, again, I, I used journaling a lot at the beginning and I still do. So I was just really focusing on what my body was able to do. And every day I said, thank you, you know, for, for my, to my heart because it's still beating and thank you to my feet. And just, I felt really silly doing that at, at the beginning. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, right. What, you know, I still want to be thin. But it was like, but that was a practice that I really, that I did. And that because journaling just felt very natural to me and that I tried to, to do at least three things every single day to list three things that I was um, so grateful for. And that's what I focused on. I've really made it a point of practice of, of gratitude and not just a thing that happened here and then. And so that was that. So the, you know, the internal work and then you know, I got pregnant after two or three years, like I was still, I was doing very good food wise, eating wise. I didn't have any, you know, eating disorder thoughts or not, not you know, the big eating disorder thoughts anymore. And, and I, I got pregnant. And that for me was like the biggest thing ever because everyone told me that I was not going to have a child because even though I had my period back and everything, my body was just like so broken and it happened. So that for me, growing this child, and it, you know, I always say that obviously not everyone has to get pregnant to appreciate their body, but it's just like, yeah. it happens 
to me, right? It was part of my journey. And growing this child was just, even though I gained a lot of weight and I, again, faced a lot of comments, it didn't matter at all. Like, it was just like, I, I am capable of doing this. My body is capable of doing this. And that was looking at my body in a completely different way, right? In a completely different light than, again, just this thing that had to weigh a certain weight or weigh as little as possible. And and then, but what I also, when I talk about this now, what I did at the, at the beginning was touch. I touched my body. Like, you know, I was just very intentional about actually feeling my body again. Like what, because, you know, when you are, when you're dieting, when you're, when you're binge eating, when you're restricting, when you're doing all of these things, you you completely lose touch with your body. You know, your body image is screwed up. You you have the distorted body image and everything. And so I, I began to just be aware of what my body actually felt like. And I just touched my arms and my legs and just touched, like, consciously. What does my skin feel like? Where does my body end? Where does it begin? Because I had no concept of that anymore. And that, for me, began to heal my body image to it was just like you know creating that intimacy not not just intellectually but actually also with my with my senses mm, that's really nice and i think it sort of parallels with the idea in like mindfulness and self compassion of gentle touch as being such a huge piece of healing like my therapist used to always have me put my hand on my heart and like mm-hmm. say things compassionately to myself or just notice like what was going on with my breath. And I think that was such a powerful practice and something that I still do, you know, and I want to feel yeah. grounded and connected. It's like hand on your heart, you know. Absolutely. That's huge. Yeah. I love that. And it sounds like you really had a moment with your pregnancy, at least, of being aware of your body's greater purpose and yeah. allowing those comments to roll off or those body image concerns to roll off because you had a sense that your body was doing something really profound. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was, you know, at the beginning when I found out I was pregnant, there were these thoughts, right? You will gain weight. <laughs> but it it really didn't matter. And I was huge. I was big. I was, a, I, I'm a very, like, I'm a very short person. And I was as short as I was, you know, round. And it really, I was very pregnant. It's what my mom always said. You're just very pregnant. And I was very pregnant and there was no thought of how will I get the weight off after my, you know, after he's here, my child's here. And that was not an issue. And that for me also was a, a confirmation of my work, right? The work that I had done for all of these years that, you know, it, it actually works. Like if you have a strong body image and if your body is more than, again, just what it weighs. If that's not the most important thing about your body, then you can get pregnant, you can gain a lot of weight, and you really cannot be faced, or you know, you, you can manage it without falling apart or feeling really, really crappy about yourself. And at the beginning of my pregnancy, I ate a lot. Like, I was hungry all the time. I, that was one of the concerns I had because I felt like, is, you know, my binge eating coming back like because I had struggled with that severely at a point too and I was just hungry so much and that subsided after like three months or so and I was just like okay that's a phase you know that was part of it I needed it but that was for me that was where a little bit of the fear not because of the weight gain but because of the behavior because I thought you know am I slipping back into food being so important like me not ever being 
feeling like I'm, I'm satisfied with anything I ate. But I just, I rolled with it. Like I listened to my body, I rolled with it. I worked on my fears. I acknowledged that I had the fears and I journaled on it and I talked about it with my coach. And then I was just like, okay, now it's gone, right? And I'm back <laughs> to the way it's been before. And so, yeah, I, again, it's just like always using the tools and always trusting your body, like work on body trust that your body knows what it's doing. And that if we don't interfere all the time, <laughs> there's, you know, it, it's got this greater wisdom. Yeah. And I was just going to say, you know, it sounds like it was a really profound practice of trust and just letting be to say, okay, I have these fears, but I'm going to listen to my body and let it do its thing. And as you suspected, it, it did normalize and it did stabilize. And it wasn't you falling back into binging. It, it was something else, it sounds like. It just was me being hungry. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What do you think helped you cultivate that sense of body trust in terms of like, did you read anything or were there any concepts or ideas that kind of clicked for you in that regard? Or was it just that same slow kind of building up of trust? It was the building up. And I think, so I, back at the beginning, I threw everything I had at you know my eating disorder I was like okay I'm just gonna try meditation I'm gonna do the journaling I'm gonna do Reiki I'm gonna do everything and I had at that point I had so many tools that I had learned and I was you know I was doing yoga I was doing so many body positive activities and I had them in my life and I had so much support and from from you know people from Reiki masters from from meditation teachers from you know books I read and from just I also had met a lot of women online who who had you know gone through eating disorders who were completely healed so I had a lot of role models and I just had all of these positive people around me that I was able to not just trust my body but also trust that my body was not so different from everyone else's body it's not like you always believe yes it can happen to everyone but me (laughs) and I was at this point where I was like no it happens to everyone and me and it was just that happened, though, through the constant work on myself. And with all of that, with everything I had, I was just able to say, yeah. And even if I continue to binge and even if I continue, even if this continues to happen, there is a reason for it. And I might have to dig deeper and I might have to figure out what is going on inside. And I might have to meditate a little bit more or try some kind of different tool or technique. And, but there will be a solution and there will be, if I need to do this now, there is a purpose for it. And so that was a strong belief that I had gained throughout just healing so many different aspects of my, of my struggle that I was just like, I was so strong in my recovery at this point that it just worked for me. And, you know, a year or two before it might not have, right. I might have completely freaked out. And I, I actually think two years ago, it would have been too much but at this point, I was just down, you know, I had been down this road and I had been doing this for a while. So it was good timing at, at this point. Yeah, absolutely. What was it like once your son was born? The best. <laughs> <laughs> he was born and he looked at me and it was like my dad looked at me. And it was just like, so that was a little bit weird. But after, <laughs> after that shock, no, it was great. I was, it was funny though. I was not able to eat for a week. Like I couldn't eat, not mentally, not, yeah, mentally. I just couldn't eat. I was- No appetite. No, no appetite. And when I ate, 
I was like, oh God, it feels, you know, it feels like I just can't swallow this. And again, that was me, okay, saying, and I was talking with my midwife, you know, everyone, and I was just like, what's happening? But again, it's just, it was a normal reaction that I had. Some people eat a lot. I did not. It was just like the overwhelm from, you know, giving birth and everything that happens with your body, the hormones, everything that I just couldn't eat. And after a week was gone again, everything was normal. But so that was another transition that was just happened. And it was great having him. I was getting a little bit frustrated with not being able to, to move as much as I wanted to, because I, at that point I was back to liking movement and not being obsessed about it. But I was like, okay, let's try this. And everything was very slow but he taught me so much and he still teaches me so much about intuitive eating and listening to your body. And it was just amazing to see that having known and learned so much about it to, to really see how everything he does and he's, he's been doing is listening to his body, listening to that and, and moving, being so joyful in when he dances and when he runs and you know everything learning to walk was just all so much fun that there's just so much ease and that's how it should be for all of us right just be this ease and this joy and this fun and being tired and stopping when, when you you know when you when you're tired when he's tired he doesn't want to eat as much as he, when he's not and when he's full he's full there's no oh my god I have to eat this because it's so good you know I'm just I'm full so I'm not going to eat anything. Even if you tell me to eat, no, I'm just not. <laughs> and now I'm hungry and it's 4 p.m. and we don't eat at 4. So still I'm hungry. Give me some food, right? So it's so amazing to see that. And obviously I'm praying and I'm hoping that he can do that. That he stays as innocent as he is right now with when it comes to this whole body image and food struggle that's out there. Yeah. Well, and it seems like what you went through and your own kind of experience of learning to trust your body again, I'm sure will influence how you help him trust his body. So it seems like you're you're set up well to encourage that in him going forward. I try. I try. And it's so funny because I actually, I was convinced I, I'd have a daughter. Mm. Like I was convinced that this was a girl. I, I needed to have a girl <laughs> and I was going to have a girl. And well, obviously he's not a girl, which is actually you know I was then but but while I was preparing to have a girl I was thinking so much about how I was going to raise the aspect right of of food and how this was going because it's it's so hard I think for parents to know that this issue is out there children talk about it people talk about it. The, the media the magazines everyone talks about diets and, and and you know macros and protein and this and that and eat this don't do that look like this look like that so I was thinking about this a lot and I was also researching it a little bit and it's hard it's not easy to because there's so much fear and I think there's so much fear in doing it wrong now that sometimes you you tend to be a little bit you tend to do a little bit too much but I think that I try not to make it an issue at all like this is what I'm at right now like food is food your body is your body and we use our bodies to, to move, to have fun in this life. We take care of our bodies and we eat, right? And we eat chocolate and because, well, he doesn't like chocolate, but we eat candy and we eat like healthy things. And which is also ironic because I'm, I love chocolate and he does not, not at all. But, you know, we have ice cream and we, we eat veggies and 
he eats some, he doesn't like others. And it's just like, okay, I try not to force anything on him, but I also try to have a variety of foods and a variety of activities in our lives, right? So that is just normal, I think. I'm hoping to not make it a an issue until he makes it one. Mm-hmm. And hopefully he can avoid that pressure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which he's a he's a boy. Like boys still have it easier than girls, even though it's been getting a little bit more and more on boys too, but it's still easier. Yeah, I think the the pressures on women from such a young age and media are sort of extreme. And yeah. that exists for boys and men to some degree too, but definitely not as extreme, I think. I agree. I agree. And I have a little cousin who, I don't know, she was four, five, six years old, and she already knew about proteins and carbs and all that. And as much as I was focused on food, I did not know these things at that age. And so that broke my heart when I realized how educated she was around food already at such at such a young age, which from just by picking it up, right, from everything, everything that's around us. And so, yeah, as much resilience as, as we can build and as we can also, you know, be a role model. I think that's really important. So that's our work. I think that's our generation's work to just not just for our own children, but for just everyone, right, who's growing up now. That's so well said. I think it is. <laughs> it really is our work. And maybe that's why it's no coincidence that there are so many women kind of coming to this and doing this work as coaches and, you know, nutritionists and stuff now, too, that we've gone through it and want to help change the world. Let's do it. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm so glad. It's it's incredible to connect with people around the world. Literally, you know, it's like you're in Germany and doing this this incredible work there. And I I'm so lucky to know you and to have stumbled on you. So thank you. Thank you. Obviously, yeah. you know how, how I feel about what you're doing. So <laughs> I'm so honored to be talking with you about this today. Yeah, this is fantastic. And so tell us a little bit about career-wise, kind of how you made the transition to work in um, coaching and what you do now and where people can find you. Sure. So it happened very organically without me ever wanting to be a coach or knowing that there was coaches out there. But when I was in treatment, I started to blog because I had met friends online. And now they're quote-unquote real-life friends. But at that point, they were online everywhere around the world. And I was just blogging to, for the first time, actually being open about this, right? And sharing, this is what's going on. This is what treatment is like. And, well, just putting it out there. And then without the intention of ever having people find this blog, people found it, people I didn't know. And so that's how it started. I got messages, I got emails, and it was just like, this is very helpful. And then I had a lot of friends who were doing podcasting. So I again, I started a podcast because that's what we did. There was no big intention behind it other than saying, okay, I'm doing this. This is my journey. I'm going to podcast about it. And so that's how it started. And then slowly I found that there were people who were doing coaching for a living, that coaching was actually a thing, that you could train to be a coach, that this was out there and just got really fascinated by it. And I had, again, many friends. I met many people who were coaches. And then I was trained as a motherbig life coach and later as an eating psychology coach. And just very organically happened, but it's been the best journey ever, which is why I'm so grateful also that I went through the struggle with food, right? Because I'm here because of it now. I'm doing this work because I went through what I did. And 
it led me on this path to working with incredible women all around the world who are courageous enough to say, okay, I don't want to diet anymore. I don't want to hate my body anymore. I don't want to binge anymore. I just want to live my life and have a great life and not be so focused on my body and so focused on my weight. So what started out as me just sharing my, my struggle with eating disorders, it turned into me now working with women who want to escape diet prison and are just ready again to, to live their life and to not focus so much on counting calories and thinking about proteins and thinking about points and <laughs> all these indexes and everything. So you can find me over at anasophie.us. That's A-N-N-E-S-O-P-H-I-E.us. And there are links to Facebook. And I have a Facebook group called Escape Diet Prison and a podcast that is called Escape Diet Prison. And yeah, I'm just sharing the great, great tools that are out there in order to, to heal and in order to let go of the battle that we engage in when we fight food mm. and fight our bodies. Oh, I love it. I'm going to put links to those in the show notes and to my episode of your podcast also, because that was a fun yes. one. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah. I love talking with you for that. So yeah, people who are listening, you can hear part one of this conversation by going to that episode. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so, so much. Really, it's been incredible being on the show and being able to share my story with, with your listeners. So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guests for being here and to you guys for listening. And we'll be back again next week with another brand new episode. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch. And the best way to do that is via email. So you can go to christyharrison.com slash email to sign up for my VIP list. I'll send you info about new episodes of the podcast as they drop, as well as exclusive sneak previews of new episodes, exclusive giveaways and other special deals on the products and services I offer, special tips on how to make peace with food and learn to trust your body, and a whole lot more. Sign up at christyharrison.com slash email. You can also subscribe via iTunes and leave us a nice rating and review, which is a great way to get the word out about the podcast and help other people find these important messages. Just go to iTunes from your computer or your podcast app, type in Food Psych to the search bar, click on the result that comes up under podcasts, and then click on ratings and reviews, and you can leave a rating and review right there. And I really appreciate all the five-star reviews and wonderful ratings that we've gotten because it's helped us climb really high right now in the rankings. So we're currently in the top 50 of all health podcasts, and that's really cool because we're competing against some of the diet mentality, sort of traditional weight management and body shaming types of messages that I'm trying to fight with this podcast. So we've really started to beat out a lot of the diety voices, and I'd love to continue climbing higher in the rankings to get this message out even further. So please leave us a nice rating and review. It's so very much appreciated. And thanks to everyone who's left reviews so far. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL, and the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now. Who put you there in that perfect?